0: We continue our series in the Gospel of Mark this afternoon, and last week we considered the, um, the the passage that where Jesus says, "Let the little children come to me." That comes from Mark chapter ten, verses thirteen through sixteen, and now we continue by reading together uh, Mark chapter ten, verses seventeen to thirty-one. But as we come as we hear God's word this morning, as we read God's word, let us ask the Lord for his blessing upon that word as we hear it this, this afternoon. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read, as your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Now, before we read this passage... I just want to mention that it's a a joy and a blessing uh, for me to bring God's word to you this day. And we're also grateful that our mother church in Wyoming may also be able to hear this word. They asked me to also preach for them, so they also get to hear the same passage this morning. So welcome, uh, congregation here in Brampton, but also the congregation in Wyoming. And we look forward to uh, hearing God's word together and that we may also uh, receive a great blessing from him. Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. And our text this morning is verses 17 through 24a. That's our focus. But we'll read Mark 10, 17 to 31. Let's hear God's word. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross. And follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. That's our text this morning, but we'll continue reading to verse 31. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So yeah, I invite you to keep your Bibles open to uh, these verses, our text this morning, verses 17 through 24a, the first part of verse 24. So congregation, in our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, sometimes when you see people, It seems that certain people have it all together. Isn't that right? They seem to have their lives together. It seems that they have no concerns, no needs. But you know what? That's only appearance. We don't know what goes inside of their lives. And the Lord certainly knows what's going on. In this passage, it seems like this man is all set for life he's a man of wealth he has everything if you read matthew's version in his gospel we learn that he's young matthew 19 verse 22. he has his whole future before him and in luke's gospel we also find out that he was a man of status in his community he's a ruler so he has the respect he has everything He has his whole life before him, and he has the respect. I mean, who doesn't have his life together more than this man that we read about this morning? But you know what? The Lord Jesus sees what we often don't see. The creator of man also knows the heart and what lives in the heart of man. Think of those words in John chapter 2. Jesus knows what's inside of us. And you know, one of the joys of reading the Gospels is the reading, of, is the reading of the one-to-one encounters that Jesus has with different individuals. You can think of the Samaritan woman. We can think of Zacchaeus. But we also have this man here, the man with his wealth. But you know what? One thing, and it's so applicable to all of us, is that whatever Jesus teaches, whatever he has his one-on-one encounters as well, his message always hits home. He always seems to lay his finger on that sore point or that sore spot in that person's life, in the area of our lives that needs to be addressed, in the areas of life where we also need to be, where we need to change. And you think about it, There is no better counselor. Isn't Jesus called a wonderful counselor? Think of the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 9 verse 6. And then he sent his Holy Spirit also to be our counselor. He's the one who leads us into all truth through his word, his searching word. Now it's into all truth. That's where Jesus is guiding this man who has great wealth. So we see from our text this morning, verses 17 to 24a, and I bring God's word to you today under this theme that Jesus counsels a man with great wealth. And we're going to see three things in our passage. First of all, this man's burning question. We see that in verse 17. This man's burning question. And then in verses 18 through 21, we hear Jesus' loving call. And finally, Verses 22, 23, 24, we uh, not only hear this man's heartbreaking response, but what is your response to this teacher, to this counselor, to the Son of God who speaks to us, the Lord who speaks to us through his word this morning? Notice verse 17. If we go there for a few minutes, this man's burning question. It's a burning question, as you can see from the verse itself. You know, Jesus has just left the the home where he was blessing the little children one by one by one. He had called them and he says, let the little children come to me. Now he had left that home and he was walking down the road. Man comes. Where was this man? Where did he come from? We don't know. Perhaps he was at that home where he was blessing the little children and observing our Savior. But whatever the case, we know that he has something to ask. He has a burning question. And we have that from time to time too, don't we? We feel unsettled and we just need to get it off our chest. In this case, this man is troubled by this question. It's time to get counsel. He wants to be relieved of his, his, uh, of his anxiety. And he knows that this is one. This is one to whom he may go to for counsel. The man knows. This man knows that Jesus hears. He knows that Jesus understands and Jesus helps. So look at verse 17. This man shows his eagerness. He is, you can see his eagerness by two things. He runs. He does so by running and then by kneeling, by falling down before the feet of Jesus. It's very much in public view, on the road, on the highway, so to speak, as the people are milling about. No, he's not trying to show off. He's just thinking about his terrible anxiety, his question that he wants to have answered. As he's doing this, as he's falling down before the feet of Jesus, he has that one burning question that he wants to ask. That has been long disturbing his heart and mind. What is that question? Does he ask Jesus for a well-adjusted happy life? Is he asking Jesus, Jesus, make sure that I have a comfort a life of comfort and of ease? No. He asked for something far deeper and far more important, one of the most important questions that any person could ever ask in his life. And that's this question, good teacher. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He's thinking about his future. Where is he going to end up? Where is he going to go? This is the most important question, brother says, that anyone can ask, that any person can ask. And would that more people would ask that question to think about where they're heading, where their future lies. Yes, to think about eternity and where each one stands in his or her relationship with the God who made them and the God who saves us in Christ Jesus. But you know this man, he wants eternal life. How do I get it? That is the life of the kingdom. He asks, what shall I do? Knows that, what shall I do? It's not a bad question in itself. We have to be careful with uh, interpreting that. It's not a bad question in itself, the question, what shall I do? When those who heard Peter were cut to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit through the message of the gospel, they also cried out. Remember at Pentecost? Men, brothers, what shall we do? The question is a good one. And Peter answers the question, repent, be baptized and your sins will be forgiven. Think of the jailer in Philippi. He trembled before the apostle Paul and Silas. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hear that? What must I do to be saved? Paul says, Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But you know what? This man had been taught and raised to think that the way of salvation, the way to eternal life, was not by believing in Christ, but by obeying the law. He had to do something. He figured he had to rely on himself. He had to, to obey the Ten Commandments, as we see in verses 19 and 20. That was what his way was. That's the way he is thinking. That's what he figured he had to do something more than that, he was a pious man, he was a good man, he was educated man, he was a well-respected man, a conservative, a man who uh, who enjoyed his traditional worshiping community. And you see his achievements, a man of respect, a ruler. And now he's thinking, is there something more I need to do? Evidently, he's feeling something. He's not fully satisfied, is he? We have to understand here, he's not deceiving Jesus with this question. His question is really a genuine question. His search is real. Something is missing in his life. Something is lacking. He's obeying the law in every way that he could imagine. But he doesn't, this is what he doesn't have. He doesn't have a life That truly satisfies. He's not happy. Good teacher. What shall I do. To inherit eternal life. And you're thinking. Hasn't he done enough? (laughs) Hasn't he done enough? What's lacking? He seems willing to do. Whatever it takes. Whatever extra it takes. To make sure. That when he dies. That he has eternal life. And that leads us to verses 18 through 21. This leads us to Jesus' loving call. The Lord Jesus knows his heart. He knows he's not asking hypocritically or arrogantly. This man is truly at a loss. Certainly in his sinfulness he is. But that brings us to his loving call, to Jesus' loving call in this man's life. You know what, where Jesus begins? He begins where this man is at his life. He begins where he's at in his life and brings him to the point where he wants him to be, where Jesus wants him to be. Jesus is going to lead him from where he is at to the point where he wants him to be. Jesus begins, in other words, on his level. You know what, in these verses we can learn so much from Jesus' strategy, his way of evangelizing to reach the heart of a person who is lost or who's in need, spiritual need. Perhaps I can just bring clarity to what I'm saying just by giving a a simple example. Uh, I remember some time ago in a discussion that I had with a Roman Catholic friend. He was a traditional Roman Catholic. And as we were discussing, I had asked him if he had been to the confessional lately to confess his sins to the priest. Because that's where he's at. That's the level where he's at. And he said, no. And I figured he wasn't because I often didn't see his car away on Sundays. So I said to him, I said, well, your sins must be really piling up now felt a little uneasy but then it gave me the point gave me the opportunity to share with him from the gospels or from the bible that god calls us to confess our sins to the one and only our only high priest jesus our savior he's the only mediator now began you could say so to speak on where he's at Not compromising, but at the same time, in order to bring him to see his own need. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. Although he's a way better teacher than I am. He begins on this man's level, on this man's turf. Verses 18 and 19. He says to this man, you know, who called him a good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. By this question, however, congregation, Jesus is not saying that he's not good. Let's understand that first of all. He's not saying that he's not good. He is good. He's sinless. He's a son of God. And neither is he... He's not saying that he's not God. He is God. He is a son of God. So why does Jesus put it this way? Why is he saying it this way? Well, the man is thinking that... What you do, it's what you do that makes you good before God, that makes you acceptable before God. It's what you do. That's how he's thinking. That's, that's his life. That's his way of salvation for him, which is totally wrong, mind you. And Jesus will make that clear. But notice that this man is calling Jesus good teacher. Why? Because he sees Jesus doing good things like him. Okay. He's a good teacher. He's doing good things. But this man does not know who Jesus is. He does not know that Jesus is God. And that's why Jesus says to him, the only one good is God. Now, think about it. If no one one except God is good, if no one is good except God alone, then this man, therefore, is not good right if only god is good okay the conclusion therefore must be that this man who's talking to jesus must not be good even if he thinks he's good even if he thinks that what he's doing makes himself acceptable to god you see what jesus does here he he intends to shake up this man's confidence in himself you know to you could say, to, to break him down in order to build him up. He shakes his confidence in himself, in his own goodness, and to show him really the way of salvation through Christ. Interesting, this man thinks that he, he's good, he's keeping all the commandments of God. And that's what Jesus does here. He reminds this man of the commandments, of God's commandments which, of course, are the absolute standard or norm of goodness in verse 19. God alone is good, and his commandments are good. And it reminds a man of the commandments, and that he thinks, I mean, he he reminds this man of the commandments that he thinks that he's obeying. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Do, 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 do. You notice here that Jesus mentions commandments five through nine. Those are the commandments that show uh, our love to our neighbor. These are the commandments that you find in Exodus 20, 12 through 16. The ones we also read this morning, though not in the same order. And then you see the commandment here, do not defraud. That's an added one, but then that's an application, isn't it? Of the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. In answer to his to this man's what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life Jesus is saying to him do do if you're talking about doing then you have to do the entire law of God you have to obey the entire law of God perfectly all of them verse 20 this man who doesn't know himself he doesn't see himself for who he really is He brings his remarkable report card, his moral report card to Jesus. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He's never slept with another woman. He's never murdered anybody. He's never stolen a candy bar from the store. Neither has he ever lied in court. Never has he exploited the poor. And he's always honored his father and mother. Yes, you well, know, perhaps maybe in terms of outwardly, perhaps his outward obedience look very perfect. He looked very good. You can see this man was like the apostle Paul before he was converted and before he came to Christ in faith and received salvation from him. Paul, before he was converted, said, Concerning the righteousness of the law, blameless. Paul saw himself blameless. He didn't understand. This man here didn't understand the depth of the law. He didn't understand that God sees in you what other people don't see. Your sins of lust, your sins of greed, your sins of hatred and jealousy and every other evil desire. Now here, the Lord lays his finger on the sore spot. In this man's life. That's his touch. Beautiful. To see how the Lord cares enough. That he lays his finger. On this man's life. With pointed accuracy. Perfect accuracy. There's no better counselor. Than Christ. He goes straight to the heart. But notice. Before he does. Jesus looks at him. He looked at him. He loved him and then says to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. You know, those eyes that looked at him are those same, is is that same kind of look? It's the same word that's used in connection with Peter. When Peter denied the Lord Jesus, what do we read? Jesus turned his head and looked at Peter, right? It's the same kind of look here. He looked at that man, and then it says, and he loved him. He loved him. And you see how Christ in his love draws this man to himself, calling him to trust on him. Do you want to have, Jesus is saying, then get rid Then get rid of whatever you have. Go, sell, give, and you will have treasure in heaven. You see the haves in there? Get get rid of whatever you have. Go, sell, give, and you will have treasure in heaven. The deepest answer to his burning question in verse 17 is found in that last part, come. Follow me, taking up the cross at the same time. You see, Jesus is offering himself. He's the life that truly satisfies. He's the one that offers a relationship to God. Jesus offers himself in the place of this man's possessions. It's one or the other. It's either Jesus or his possessions. The call is so radical. If you want me, you have to get rid of all of the other stuff in your life, all your possessions, all of it. It's a call to trust in Christ alone, not in your wealth, not in your status, not in your good works, not in your obeying the law or how good you are, so often people try to find honor in themselves. You're not going to find it. It's not there. It's where found where? It's in the one who kept the law perfectly and paid the price through his death on the cross for us who did not obey it perfectly. You know what? We can contribute nothing to our salvation. Absolutely Nothing. Our status, our position, what we have contributes nothing, zero, to our salvation. Only trusting in Christ alone and his work, finished work on the cross alone. What's the issue here with this man's life? He surely broke the commandments. you notice if you look at verses 19 and 20, or sorry, 18 and 19, the one commandment at the end that's missing is the 10th commandment that deals with the realm of desire. Jesus doesn't mention that one, but that's the one. Right? He it deals with the realm of desire, coveting. And what is coveting? If you go to Colossians 3 verse 5, covetousness is idolatry. So he also broke the first commandment. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What was first in his life? His wealth. And that way, because the 10th commandment deals with the realm of desire, he broke every commandment, but especially the first. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, brothers and sisters, wealth was his God. And sad to say, there are many people today, even in the church, where wealth is their God. Notice as well. Jesus is very clear that that was his lack. He has broken every one of the Ten Commandments because wealth was his God. His lack was his faith and trust in Jesus. His lack was Jesus. Remember our passage from last week where Jesus said to the little children, let the little children come to me. You know, children are totally helpless with nothing to bring. And the children in that passage really illustrate what it is to have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that true? You too, Jesus is saying to this man and to all of us, you too need to enter the kingdom as a child. Only when this man would sell all that he had, only when he would become like a helpless child, Only when he would see that he was poor and helpless as that child, on the same level as everyone else, in great need of a 100% Savior, will he receive that gift of eternal life. And most assuredly, he will receive that gift of eternal life if he believes, if he abandons everything else, and relinquishes it, and trusts in Christ. Wow. Jesus counseled them and. With great precision, he touched his sore spot in his life. The question is one of response. Now, how does he respond to the loving call of Jesus in his life? And we read it and our heart breaks as we hear his response. It's a heartbreaking response. Verse 22, he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, it's not very often in the Gospels where one comes to Jesus and walks away sad. This may be the one of the only times. And notice this, it's a rich man, a man with a lot of wealth. Almost all the cases reported in the Gospels of those coming to Jesus, they came to him sad and walked away joyfully. Here we see the reverse. This man couldn't do it. He couldn't part from his riches. He understood Jesus' counsel. He understood Jesus' call. It was very clear. He couldn't avoid it. He couldn't accept it, though. He simply couldn't break with his possessions. He couldn't couldn't break with his attachment and follow Jesus. That's why he was sad. That's why he went away sorrowful. It comes down to this, brothers and sisters. he said to him either your possessions or me you can't have both it's one or the other it's so clear but this man sooner than giving up his wealth he gave up Jesus and eternal life that was his response so sad he gave up the inheritance the treasure that Jesus offered him in light of some riches that would just spoil and fade away anyway. We don't know if he ever did forsake all and come to believe in Jesus. Verses 23 and 24, our last verses of our text today, Jesus indicates that wealth and possessions that prevented one man from following Jesus is also a matter of concern for those who follow Jesus. That is, for those who claim to be followers of Christ, who are followers of Christ, who are in his church. Because you notice know what Jesus does, he turns from that van and he turns to his disciples. See verse 20, see verse 23. We read here how hard it is. Actually, just before that, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, he looked around, he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Even in verse 25, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. You know, first of all, we have to say, the Bible is really clear that being rich is not sinful, not at all. Many people of God are blessed to be rich. Think of Abraham, Job, Joseph of Arimathea. Riches can be and are often a real blessing, but the love of riches and possessions, that's sinful. And also for all those who covet riches, whether rich or poor alike. You know, I think about that. Many live in Canada with the goal, with the ideal of a pursuit of riches. But you know what? Those things will all perish. Jesus puts things in perspective, doesn't he? Riches can easily occupy first place also in the life of a disciple. Those can be real struggles, real temptations. Jesus knows our heart. He knows our thirst. And he knows how we can struggle intensely with those things that can just so easily draw us away from the path of following him. It easily competes with our loyalty and our love to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He looked around, and he talks to them. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I think we can be this clear this morning or this afternoon. If riches are your God, sell it. Sell everything, give it up, give it away. Literally, if that's what it takes to break from your God, Jesus says, Do it literally and come, trust, follow Christ, and receive eternal life. Riches fall, but Christ will never fall. He said crucified, and risen Savior. In a a very real sense. You know what? In a very real sense. Everyone who comes to Christ in faith, what happens? In his heart already, what happens? He learns that he now gives up everything. He renounces everything. He relinquishes everything, including his possessions. And then, Christ gives it back. He gives it all back to us, not to serve ourselves with it, but to serve him and for the growth of his kingdom. It changes our perspective upside down. Actually, right side up. We totally see straight now. It's all for his kingdom and for his glory. Sometimes I think that we lack that perspective, that kingdom perspective. Sometimes we think part of it is mine and part of it belongs to God. No, you can't have it both ways. It's either all Jesus or it's your possessions. If you belong to Jesus, it all belongs to him in service to him and for his kingdom. Nothing wrong with being rich. But what do we do? How do we see them? How do we serve God with them? 100%. That's the call. You know, we live in a culture of retirement and the retirement culture says, you see it in the church sometimes that I've served in the kingdom for many years, it's time for me to sit down and settle back and take all my vacations. And it's time for the next generation to take up the cause. Really? This goes against the spirit of what Christ says here. It really does. You know, the retirement years are the best years for giving it all, for serving it all, serving all for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. You have the time, perhaps not the energy as much, but you have the time, you have the resources to continue to serve God and his church and for the glory of his kingdom. You know, the gift of eternal life and the treasure in heaven is already yours in Christ. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. That's everything. Everything else will go. Invest all you have. Invest it. Not for yourselves, but for his kingdom, for the growth of the church, for his glory. You notice here in closing, the disciples were astonished. Why were the disciples astonished at Jesus' words? You notice in that day, to have riches was to have honor. If you were rich, you had a good standing. Think of this man who came to Jesus. He was respected. He was a good man. He had honor because of his riches. It was easy to think he had a good standing with Christ and a place in his kingdom. But look what happened to this man who came to Jesus. He walked away. In shame, with great sorrow, with, with sadness, though he was rich. You know what? Though he was well respected in community, Jesus doesn't lessen the demands just because he's rich. This man was rich. No, all of us, all of us must come to Jesus equally, in the same way, rich or poor alike. And that is by faith alone. You must come like a trusting child. Think back to last week's message. Totally helpless, poor, and with nothing to bring. That changes perspective on everything. It changes the perspective on, wealth, our time, our lives. Doesn't it? But yeah, receive Christ in faith. Receiving him, you receive everything. Everything, the gift of his kingdom, the treasure in heaven, and eternal life. These are, his, these are his sure promises. And yes, he's able to overcome and enable us to overcome those struggles so that we may respond to him in a way that brings glory to him. He, our risen Lord and Savior, who died for sinners, he now honors us with his riches. We can share in his honor. Amen.